Welcome to the Writer's Block. This space is for aspiring writers, indie and published authors who desire tips, tricks and tools to foster confidence in your ability to write. This space is also for voice actors, editors and literary agents. All those people whom are writing adjacent. Let this space be a haven, a resource, and a reminder you can write all you see and see all you write. Grab your pens. We're about to circle the block. This particular podcast show is going to be the forerunner for a mini-series I have entitled You Can't Say That. That starts on I Breathe Fire and J.B. Harris Writing Services starting March the 4th. All links will be in the show notes. I always find it fascinating when I engage with the people who know that I write. The people who know how dexterous my verbiage can be. And there is someone who I've known for a very long time who we actually got into it a couple days ago. Like we got into it. Um, I was speaking about, you know, going and uh, dating and quote unquote acting fast or going to be fast. Now, <clears throat> with full with full transparency, this person who I was speaking to is white and male. For most of you who know me in real life and have discerned by now by my social media platforms, I am a happy cishet black woman. And when I said fast, he immediately took it an opposite way. And I'm like, that's not what that means. And then he proceeded to say to me that. Because he, and he literally said this, he said, because he had been embroiled in the culture for 16 years, that gave him the right to say the word fast. Now, why he say that? Now, why he say that? And I told him he didn't have the right to say that. So then we get into it some more. And he says that, you know, do you think that you have the right to, you know, own this word. And I said, I can still respect your point of view, but that doesn't, that does not negate my experience. So I own this word. You can't, you can't call me fast. You can't, you can't do that. And then as most, uh, sullen, uh, white men do when they are confronted with their own uh, microaggressions, he doubled down on it saying again he'd be embroiled in the culture he knows what it means and that I was using the word wrong now why he say that he then he went then he went on to say that you know the Irish have a have a way by which they use fast that ain't got nothing to do with me I'm not I'm not Irish and the part of me that is is extremely diluted right and he said it's no different than him learning Spanish, even though he's not Latin, he just grew up in the culture. Who gonna tell him?
For those of you keeping track and taking notes, that was the absolute worst thing he could have said. The absolute worst thing you can do for a writer who is versed in language, who is of any minority slash non-white descent, is to double down on a word that you have really no idea what the contextual history or cultural history or implications around and surround it. I proceeded to tell him, unless you have been a little black girl whom has had her entire body policed, you can't call me fast. You can't do that. You can be immersed in a culture for however long and still not have right to all its language, not have all the nuances to discern what's really being said. You can be exposed to language and still not understand it. That's not any and for. And when he said that it's no different than him learning another language. Oh, nay, nay. That's that's the worst side of correct. That's the worst side of correct. What should have happened is he could have just left it there, right? He could have left it there and and let me had owned my word, owned the experience that goes along with that word, owned the fact that I I have done the work as a black woman to diffuse the power that fast had. Because again, calling a black girl fast is code for calling her a whore. The magnanimous Dr. Raquel Martin, I always have to put the doctor in there because Dr. Martin is amazing. Please follow Dr. Martin on Instagram and TikTok. She is amazing. And she recently did her TED Talk. Again, I this this podcast stands Dr. Martin. And with that standing, she said something I want to say in the earlier part of this year that I thought was that I thought was amazing. She said how calling black children fast is literally engaging in white supremacy again you have to follow dr martin i'll make sure i put her uh, information in the show notes but she goes in depth as to why that is detrimental which is why as a black woman again as we as some black women jest about going and being fast we have done the work to neutralize that word to make it ours again versus it we make it we make it uh something to cajole about rather than something that will crush you so the fact that I'm engaging in this conversation with this with this cishet white man who believes because he was born into a culture, he can have rights to all its language, its, procri- its proclivities and its nuances and its dexterous fluidity. I had to let him know. You can't say that. You can't say that. Just like my best friend is Sicilian, right? And there are, there are two certain words that I will not mention on this podcast that I can't say because I'm not a part of that culture. And if you are versed in Sicilian slash Italian culture, you know what those two, two words are. Now she can say it amongst her, amongst her family and friends, but I can't say it just like she can't say the N word. No, you no, you can't say it. You can't say it. But I began to really dig into that family. I began to dig into why it is that there are not just, you know, this certain person, right? 
because we actually, you know, after I after I stated my point. Right. Not that he understood it totally. And I still don't think he understands it, stands it fully, because, again, from his privilege and standpoint that he's never been in the position by which he's had to um, cont- contend for language, where he's actually had to defend his existence, especially in a place that is decidedly anti-black and decidedly anti-woman. He's never had that experience of trying to repossess language. And we know that Toni Morrison said that language is the measure of our lives. It's what we do. And there are certain things I believe as a black writer or a writer who happens to be black there, I must be intelligent enough to know that there are certain things I must gatekeep. We see this in um, Zora Neale Hurston's work where she actually was recording what we now know, right, as the AAE, as the AAE or the AAVE. She was actually recording just how folks spoke. And that was seen as, you know, just distasteful. The same thing happened to Paul Lawrence Dunbar when he began to write poetry in the echoing, as it were, of the language that he heard. And when you actually see sometimes the AAVE written, it does look foreign because again, it's one of those, it's, it's a, it's an honest to goodness language. We all know that because we speak it right. And at the same time, there are, there are certain people who will, who have not been versed in it, who will dismiss it because they can't understand and they can't control it. The reason by which I was so incensed about this particular conversation is one, you're erasing, you're erasing my experience Two, you're not listening to me. Three, you believe because you've been born into a culture because back up because you've been involved and around and immersed in a culture for 16 years. That gives you license to use words that were hurtful to me. No. Those three things cause cause me as a writer to get not just gatekeep my language. But gatekeep my culture. You can be immersed in something, but you can be immersed in something 16 years, but I've been a black woman almost 42. That trumps that. You know, big joke, big joke, a slap here. I I win this book. You're never going to win this book because this language doesn't belong to you. But there, I think, lies the impasse. Well, not an, it's either an impasse or a road. And it almost seems disingenuous, right, to gatekeep language, especially English, right? Because most people speak it either as a first language or a second language. Most people speak that. We know that slang is still an acceptable form of English around other people. We know that there are people who come to this country, take English and break it and use it to their use it to their advantage and add their own slang to it. Right. We know that. That's the beautiful thing about language. You can you can make it into what it is. Language also is a construct, right? The thing that I believe is the undergirding, if you will, for this particular conversation and this mini series that is coming is language is how I define my life. You know, again, I am a writer. I have copyrights to my name. There are books. There are books that I've written. Um, there there are certain platforms that I've been on to espouse. Um, my particular theories and thoughts and actions in life. You can't 
tell me what I can't say. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't do that. Now, as I go about and I go in the world with my all my black woman language, all my black woman experiences and all my black experiences, there are certain things when I walk into spaces where there are non black people. I know there are certain things I can't say. The language has to adjust. Right. Which is why we have code switching. We know that. And yet when non black people come into our spaces, it feels as if. They think they have a right to everything including the language the, and language is intimate beloveds language is intimate. It just like, and again, I, I know sometimes my mom listens to this particular podcast. So I'm going to try and keep it, keep it as, as cute as I can. That's just like, if I call my best friend and be like, Oh bitch, she knows that either something crazy has happened or something good has happened or I need her attention. Right. That's the intimacy of language. And if I were to go out with some friends of mine, and say, hey, babe, what's up? They know that that's a term of endearment and I'm trying to get their attention. Just like if I talk to a couple of my uh, talk to other girlfriends in uh, other circles, uh, shouts to Marie and Marie and uh, Dina where they are. If I were to say sis, sis is a term of endearment and it's also intimate language. If you are a woman, if you are a non-black woman who if you are a non-black woman, there are certain things you just you just can't say or own in my space or repeat in my space. You can't do that. And I being a non-white woman going into, again, predominantly white space, there are certain things I can't do. I cannot say because one, they won't be understood. Two, they won't be taken seriously. And lastly. I don't want to open myself up to. Having to explain my existence, a.k.a. what does that mean? So language has to adjust. It has to be able to be strong enough to convey point and defend point and intimate enough to bring people in and expand your circle. So, no, it's not good enough that you were immersed in a culture for a minute for so many odd years. That does not give you right to own any language in that circle. You can because you don't have the necessary social tools to own that, to own that language, to own the language is to own the space. And I cannot allow you to own the space that I'm in because you believe you have right to it because you know enough, right? You can't do blackness on a curve, no matter how many black women you like, no matter how many non-white women you date, you can't, you can't, you can't own the language in that space. Now there is a commonality to language as well, by which again, If you speak English, you can understand what I'm saying. There's that commonality. You can hear and listen to respond. And yet there is, again, an intimacy to language where the language changes depending on the space. Where the respect is garnered because I don't have that experience that is tied to that language. So, no, it's not good enough. That you were immersed in a culture. It's not good enough because your your immersion does not trump and will never remove my permanent status in that culture. To do that is to supplant is you are supplanting me. That's oppression. And we also know that depending on depending on the language is also used as a form of oppression. So, yes. I cheer when 
I'm able to use that, use my language in, in multiple facets and multiple spheres and take it and bend it and break it in certain cases and, and code switch and be able and be able to go back to AAVE being able to have my tone relaxed when I'm, when I'm with my people who are from Mississippi and Louisiana, I'm happy when my language relaxes enough to be home again. So no, you can't just come in my space and say, just because you have this set of experiences, you can now own this language. No, you can't because you don't understand what it means. Yes, you can have other cultures who have, again, a similar word, but I don't have the experiences of that culture. And it would be disingenuous for me to assume that all those experiences lay equal when they don't. When they don't. So, no, it's just some words by God you just can't say. The time has come to leave you to your thoughts and words. The hope is that what was shared in this space was encouraging, empowering, and a catalyst to write. Special thanks to Valor Music LLC for all audio production and mixing. All business inquiries and advertising inquiries can be sent to circlethewritersblock at gmail.com. If you feel so inclined to support the work of this podcast to continue to fight erasure of black and minority writers, consider supporting through Cash App at dollar sign J-B-H-W-R-I-T-E-S, that's J-B-H Writes, or PayPal at S-G-L-L-C dot one zero three eight at yahoo.com we will see you next time when we circle the blog